Delilah, I want to ask you many questions about your documentary, Can You Dig This, in terms of the filmmaking aspect. But for one quick moment, I just want to go to something you said on another show. And I think you mentioned that halfway through making the film, you weren't sure that you could continue. I'm sure it was a, an emotional thing for you. Anybody who sees the film will definitely see how that would be possible. But did you change your mind in terms of wanting to make another film after Can You Dig This was in the can? Um, I'm definitely, I've gotten over that, that hurdle. Um, it is true that I, um, I'm probably more reticent to jump into uh, any doc um, knowing how much it, it takes and how much of your, your life you, you have to really give up to, to what I believe is tell, tell a good story. Okay, and I know you, you open the film with some pretty heavy self-disclosure. Was that something you intended to do right off the bat? There was some really heavy stuff that I resonated with, but sometimes documentarians don't always talk about some of their motives behind making a film. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that the idea behind the, the doc was always going to be something that we, we put into the, the documentary. Um, during the process, we had a lot of feedback sessions, like at least 30, probably less than 50, somewhere in, in that range. And um, one of the people that we were really lucky to have sit with us and give us some feedback was Boaz Yakin. Do, do you know who that is? He's an amazing director. And the, the movie was pretty much cut. But he was like, I'm not sure I understand the premise. And we're like, really? How, how, could, you be, how could you miss the premise? And so, because um, our, our introduction hadn't set it up well enough. So um, it was something that I, I wanted to be a part of the movie, but I, I hadn't figured out exactly how yet. Um, so I kind of pitched it to the producers that we go back and tell a bit of my story so that people have a better understanding of why it is that we're exploring these character journeys. Um, and so the reason behind my interest was then incorporated into the beginning of the film. So in, in all of the sort of the sessions of watching the various cuts, that was, those were his notes to you to, to really tell your story so it sort of solidified it right It was away. just very simple and kind of like, we all felt like we were five because he, he said, I don't know, I, don't, I, just, I just don't get the, the premise. And we're like, uh, like how do you miss the premise? I mean, that's like pretty, you know, we all felt pretty, we put so much work into, into the movie and something that seemed so obvious to us and that ex exceedingly obvious to me because it, it was my, my reason behind making the movie but sometimes you're so close to things that you can't, you can't always tell, which is why I think it's so important to, I guess like even if you're a, you're a screenwriter, you know, to, to open yourself up you know, to, to people and be able to um, accept critique you know, so that you can make your, your project better. Was it your intention to make a, a food documentary? I mean, there's been so many these days and it, it's so much more than just a food documentary. But was that your initial intention? We did not want to make another food doc. And 
I respect and love a lot of those those documentaries, um, and I think it would be difficult to compete with with them at this point, and probably unnecessary. And I also didn't really want to go about trying to expose any more bad food systems in any more detail, or you know, get into kind of like a attacking our corporate system or or anything like that. And I feel like it's almost kind of like a an, affir an, an affirmative idea that if you tell a story and focus on what the, the negative aspects are, that people are gonna walk walk away with this sort of brain recording going, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay, rather than tell all the reasons why everything is okay and how easy it is to resolve some of our age-old issues, which for, for gardening, which is one of the things that I did discover because I'm not a gardener, um, was that it's something like, like breathing. It's so innate, but so many intelligent people and capable people are afraid of planting tomatoes or afraid of lettuce, and <laughs> including myself. And so I, I really wanted to make the story something that was made gardening more attainable for, for busy people, for, for everyone, and um, come at it from a really positive place. And I think I'm getting that sort of feedback. I feel like people are going to dialogues and are, are very inspired after, after seeing the movie at the, the screenings that we've done so far. Very much so, and I don't want to give away too much about the film, but I love the way you incorporate the stories, the gardening, the photos, the music. Uh, I'm sorry, not the photos, the drawings. You have the illustrations. So, and I think that um, it's nice that there's a, a spiritual component to the gardening. It seems like people really gain um, healing through doing this, and so I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. So yeah, it's so much more than a food doc, and uh, I really love the film. Um, when you set out to make it, was it, and forgive me, I, I, you know, my own self-disclosure, I didn't know much about my own father, so uh, I hope that's okay to ask you more about this, but were you also seeking answers about your own father and, and in turn really who you are? Because a lot of that's missing when you don't know another parent. It's true. I, I was curious about South Los Angeles um, because my, my mom brought me up um, in in Hollywood, so I'm interracial child, and I had this sort of eclectic white mom and my very charming black dad from South LA, and they weren't really together so much, my parents, but he would take me to South LA quite often, and it's not like my life was, you know, so cushiony in, in Hollywood, but I did see a huge disparity between the two areas when I was a kid and I think it's something that I just went about my life and just never quite addressed and um, so I stopped seeing my dad after I was nine um, and I just was very curious to know if you know we're, we're, we're in America we we have this idea of like pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps that you know if you have the impetus to do something, you should just be able to do it. And my question is, is about resources, and maybe that's true. Maybe you don't need a lot of support, and maybe you don't need a lot of resources, 
but there was there are some things that my my dad that I saw him do and the challenges that he faced in, in his life that I wanted to see if, if that's the same in the area um, is that my own experience and if if he did have tougher circumstances what what was up what was he up against and um, then that kind of does connect for me to to gardening and you know Ron Finley saying that he can change lives through through planting a seed in an area that is no notoriously dangerous so it was a definite um, personal exploration so uh, you know because you've been a dancer for years and you you also did I believe a, a narrative film before this wasn't your first one but first doc was there a moment or did you I know Ron Fidley did this amazing TED talk that has like over 2.5 million views yeah. um, what, what came first the meeting Ron or wanting to search for your it was well my my father I had found out I had like some people from my family reach out um, with these strange numbers on my phone I'm going who are these people from like you know calling me and it turned out my father was was sick and wanted to see me and so that was kind of the strange like why does he want to see me like I don't really know him that well you know you're an adult and you get through your life without a father figure and you don't feel like you nest it's not a sad thing I just don't you know I don't know him or need him I guess um, so I that kind of pulled me back into the the area um, and then it was somewhat organic because I had already been t uh, talking to the producers at Delirio Films about maybe something that was more in the narrative um, platform and they brought up they showed me a Ron Finley um, LA Times article and that inspired the conversation so it was kind of one of those things that just sort of happens like serendipitously you know when you're looking for something and everything kind of falls into place that creates a project interesting so that yeah then I believe the article was about how one of his neighbors turned him in for planting vegetables and there was some city ordinance that he you can't grow vegetables like on his medium in front of his house or something yeah it's some ridiculous thing yeah yeah you can't you can't part you can't plant uh, carrots in your parkway this is illegal um, but there there are now laws that have changed due to Ron Finley and Ron Finley's efforts now it's, it's it is possible to plant vegetables in, in the parkway where all the, the grass is now it is legal in Los Angeles County however across the United States it is still uh, primarily illegal to plant where the, uh, the grass is, which is a very antiquated law. And I think what was interesting when, when I was following, following Ron Finley, um, I went to the city council meeting and, you know, I tend to think, oh, it's just bureaucracy. They, I think of them, them as they, and, you know, I, we can't get anything done. And I feel like people are, you know, feel apathetic about politics and then here I see the city council and these people are very much a lot like me. They just are doing that job and they've got to deal with paperwork to make things go. And the majority of them don't want to stop people from eating healthy. They, they, they have kids of their own. They, they see that, that it's too expensive to eat at Whole Foods every day, no matter what neighborhood you're from. And they want the laws to change. What they were worried about were 
things like getting the city getting sued because if somebody plants a spiky plant or something that a kid eats that's somewhat you know toxic or which those arguments are they make sense and they don't because you know I'm sure that there's trees that you can't eat either you know but it was just like getting through this like kind of big bureaucracy to get us to this this place where where we are now well, I know Ron is is a force of nature in the film. Um, no pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, and and he's one of the producers on the on the movie. But you you also had so many other interesting individuals. I mean, each one, no one really paled in comparison. Each one's story was really unique. Was there anyone or, or a few people that you had to cut out of the film? And if so, what was your reasoning? having to not use their interviews? Um, there are two people that it breaks my heart that are not in the movie. Um, well, one is because the, you only have so many minutes to tell everybody's story. And if you divide up you know, 80 minutes, that's 20 minutes each person, not including Ron Finley, to have a beginning, middle, and an end. It's just, it's not possible to do, I, I believe, more than, more than that and tell a true personal story. Um, but, we had a uh, one woman named Miss Teresa who lived in Inglewood and her apartment overlooked a basketball court in an area that was pretty crime ridden. This is an older woman from the south who was quite lonely and um, had southern, southern manners and felt a little bit alienated there and then this um, organization called Social Justice Learning Institute had put in a really simple um, about 12 garden boxes on top of the concrete like got rid of the the basketball court and slowly but surely kids are coming out and planting things and asking questions and here she is now, instead of overlooking this basketball court, she's looking at these garden boxes and seeing kids out there. And then she goes out there with all of her knowledge from the South and starts teaching these little ones. And then the seniors from across the street are coming out because a lot of them can't feed themselves. So they're actually eating from the garden. So that now Miss Teresa is meeting some of her neighbors that are her peers. And the area has gang members, but nobody is, you know, doing anything bad to the garden. They are protecting the garden now because they respect it and, and love it. And it creates this community now where everybody's coming out and either eating from it or meeting their neighbors. And um, she, it's completely changed her life. These 12 boxes, these garden boxes, very simple garden boxes. Um, so that's Miss Teresa. I'm, I'm hoping that we can um, include some of her footage in the um, the VOD. Um, and then also there is um, Hanif, who had a garden on the, the Compton Creek. It was an illegal garden. That one for sure is illegal. Um, he he lives in a senior home in in Compton, and would he was a um, Vietnam vet. He was a um, paratrooper with PTSD and he used the garden for, for therapy. It really wasn't to, to eat from it and he's, he's hilarious because he doesn't like the other seniors. They're like old people, they talk too much, they're, you know, they get in his way um, and they, they're always trying to you know, 
what do you got over there? What are you growing? And he's, you know, reluctant, but he, he opens up um, as well. He's, he's amazing. He's like into Native American spirituality. So he sages off his plants and he's always trying new, new ways of, of planting because it's hard to get water over there. So he's, he's also one of my favorites, but we had to cut him out because he's so close to Hosea. Um, so Hanif, we're also pushing to put his story in the, the extras for VOD as well. Well, speaking of reluctance, um, I noticed with several of the, the subjects, for lack of a better word, that at first their body language, they were turned away from the camera. And then once the movie got going, I definitely saw them trust you. At least it appeared that way to us, to the viewer. Yeah. How did you how did you break that down or was it not really breaking down? It was just letting it be. I think it was a mixture of time, which I guess is letting it be and also um, being open and vulnerable myself because if I'm not open, they have no reason to tell me anything personal or forget that I'm there. So I had to forge real friendships with people that I would not have gotten to know otherwise. So it really forced me to um, grow as a human being. And sometimes you think, oh, director, I can be introverted. I can, you know, I can just get behind the camera and like whisper my, my ideas to people and, you know, hire an actor who is going to, you know, take those ideas and it's their job to make it happen, you know. But with the doc, you know, you get hung up on a lot. I showed up at gardens for like a four o'clock appointment and would wait in my car till like eight or nine um, and nobody would show up. You want to get angry? You, you can't though. Those people's lives, they don't necessarily want, you know, want a camera in their face. You know, contrary to popular belief, not everybody wants the, the camera in their face. So um, yeah, I think it was just um, perseverance, not not getting upset if, if people don't pick up the phone, if they don't return your call. Um, that made me grow. Also, usually like once someone doesn't call you back once, you're like, fine, whatever. You know, I would call eight, nine, 12, 16 times, get stood up and just keep showing up with my camera. Wow, that's interesting. So, so maybe, you know, being less sensitive with some of the, the outcome? Yeah, less sensitive, not taking things personal. Um, and also, I, I learned that, you know, it, it's so, so cliche, but not taking no for, for an answer. I mean, just, and it, it really does seem that it, most no's can turn in, into a yes. Hmm. You know, if you're just, if, I think that if you are coming from a good, good place um, and you, you are trustworthy and, and I think that there was definitely a, a bond that I had to create with people so that they realized that any portion of their life that was going to be exposed would be something that they would feel okay with. Um, so they trusted me to represent them in the best light that, that I can and still tell the story. Right. Do you think um, that people were afraid of being judged? being misunderstood? Was that part of it? Or, or just even just having to acknowledge their own stuff and it was scary to have to then maybe they'd have to watch it and I mean there was a lot of painful stuff they talked about that I could yeah. see why they wouldn't. Yeah I think 
that's a that's a really that's a hard question to to answer in some ways because I don't know that people they they know that you're doing a documentary but you know they're like is it going to be on YouTube and <laughs> like you know they don't know when you say documentary if that's three minutes you know or what what that means exactly so I don't know that people are thinking that in, introspectively as far as what what they're going to appear as but I would definitely say that. Um, I find it somewhat challenging to sit with my characters in some moments during the movie because it is their life, you know, kind of flashing right back back at them, and I can't imagine what that even even feels like. Like this interview can is like can be un unnerving, but to to have to dissect yourself and that that's got to be rough I, I don't I don't even know really how how what it feels like to be a documentary subject and and, and how that felt but they I think that they're all okay with it so was there a point where you said okay you can see your interviews now or did you show them dailies how did that work I absolutely did not show anybody dailies I, I think I showed maybe like a few still pictures um, just to say Hey, look how cool you look in this. Um, I haven't seen you in two weeks. You're not answering the phone. Um, look how cool you look. And then that sometimes would help and sometimes it, it didn't. But yeah, definitely not because they didn't want people to feel um, aware of themselves, you know, so that they would know how, how they look and how they're coming across. And I didn't share. Um, anything about how I felt like their story arc was or and I tried not to lead anybody down any path that would make them self-aware when I was asking questions either I feel like it would be like if I went to your house and you made me lasagna from your garden and we just chat and I asked you questions all over the gamut and then um, cut it together to tell a story about how great you are at making lasagna and you know how much care you put into it and I would hope that I would capture those those elements from the questions that I asked but I wouldn't tell you that I was after that okay so so when you good because I mean you you get some each person each character has some pretty interesting and and at times very troubling turns um, how long were you following the, the, these individuals at least a year Wow. Yeah, and a happened. lot of time, a lot of time spent in South LA, a lot of time in my car, a lot of time not being able to find anything to eat because it is South LA, which is a food desert, which was like, you know, kind of this existential, like, wait, I'm making a doc about not being able to eat in South LA and, and I can't find anything to eat. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. um, but yeah, a lot, live, basically, you know, living there for a year, not sleeping there, but living with people very, very closely. Interesting. And so when when you are turning on the camera and asking questions, again, you, you were saying that it wasn't so much leading them down a certain path. It was just, how was your day? What happened? But very innocent. Right. I mean, I would, I would have an idea of what I was asking about. And I mean, they're not stupid. They, you know, if I ask Spicy about jail, right. for instance, he knows that we're interested in that portion of his, of his story. Um, so, yeah, and that was apparent at time. You know, you could definitely see him maybe putting up a wall and then letting you in. And, and but toward the end, it definitely seemed like people really did trust you, and that was interesting yeah. to see that 
in the beginning, the, the sort of turning away from the camera, even the physical, and then opening up more. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, just curious what you shot on? Uh, a C300. Okay, um, And then also I used the 5D. I found the 5D kind of hard, um, especially at 12 noon. Uh, like I can't look at that LCD and get it focused well enough. And I know that there's some like attachments that you can put on there, which I found out in retrospect to create almost like a viewfinder for the LCD. Um, and I didn't really figure out the, the filters as well with that camera. I, I really loved the C300. It was heavy as all get out. And I know they're marketing it as like this lighter camera, like that my girl arms after a while just would start sinking. And then I would use my elbow and place it into my hip, like as if my hip is the, the tripod to take the weight and sort of curve around the camera all day long. And then especially Kimani, because we, I mean, I don't want the story about Kimani to be like this adult viewpoint, you know, I want it to be from her perspective. So I was constantly in this sort of plie of sorts, like, you know, shooting Kimani hunched over. Um, and uh, yeah. Did you have another DP or it was all? Yeah, was all I had, okay. I did, um, yeah, I was like going through all the, the cameras. Um, I got, I got on, off on a tangent, but we, we used also the Bolex, which I didn't shoot on the Bolex. Um, we had Edu Grau, the amazing Edu Grau, who shot a single man and he shot um, Suffragette, the um, Meryl Streep movie that just got released. And um, so he was our DP for, for Ron primarily. Um, and JB, I can't pronounce his last name. Yeah, I saw the last, yeah, I have it here somewhere too. <laughs> Sorry, JB. Um, but he, he, he did a lot of our, um, we shot on the, the Lumix, um, a lot of our um, traveling shots. Um, we, ha we got a car mount and did that. He did a lot of that. He did some um, B-roll of, of Ron's garden, got like some beautiful, amazing stuff there. Um, another DP, John, yikes. I can't remember his last name either. Um, but he came in for, for one day. Um, so, but 85, 90% is when there's like one-on-one -on -one interview stuff or in the garden with the characters, it's, it's me. Um, the GoPro, the um, our drone shots was our producer Christopher Leggett. Oh, he got those. He's wow. just like a tech head, so uh -huh. I, I'm afraid of the drones. <laughs> we weren't sure if it was yeah, if you had a helicopter or what. So that looked great. The overshots of the garden. When you're when you were in South LA and there were some you know police shots and different things, what was your protocol for shooting some of that? I mean, how f fearful were you not of just the neighborhood, but the police as well, not wanting you to shoot them? Right. Well, the thing is, is like there are police driving around South Los Angeles. Um, like there are like, you know, buses going by in, in Hollywood. It's just a constant presence and same with the helicopters. And um, I never really felt like anything was going to happen to me if I aimed a camera. Um, as long as I'm not an, anta antagonizing anyone. Um, so, yeah, and as far as being afraid in that area, I think that's kind of like a, 
a twofold question because I, I know that the, the crime rate is, is higher there. So that's uh, in my, my mind while I'm there. But it, also if I'm walking around any part of the city with $14,000 worth of equipment, a girl all by myself with one eye covered and earphones on and can't see behind me, you know, I'm always going to feel a little edgy, you know, so I definitely was, I would say, more on edge than I, I would be. Um, but it's hard to, to, to determine because I feel like I'm a little ballsy in that sense, like especially if I'm trying to tell a story that's not about me and for, a, I believe, a greater cause, that I'll put myself into situations that are, you know, worth, worth not my life, but, you know, my life. But, and lastly, just, just wrapping up here, were you surprised though by how many people were intrigued by a female with all this gear on walking down the street? I know you said before people were hesitant, but were there some that were just like, wow, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you making? I, I did get that. Um, I definitely got people stopping me on the street to ask about, about the, the equipment and what I'm doing. And I got a lot of support too. A, a sister out in the hood with my, you know, with my gear and like, hey, tell my story, tell my story. You know, it's like, you gotta tell, listen to my story. I got a lot of that too. Like, okay, let me take notes. Um, I'm like, but I'm busy right now. I can't do your story. Um, give, give me your information. Um, but I did get a lot of uh, support out there. I think people, I thought it was actually really great too to be sort of an example in South LA of like not only just like a black woman or mixed woman um, making a movie as an example in the area where there's no film school that I know of in South LA. Um, and then also being female and hopefully empowering other women that even if they're not going to be um, a, a, a filmmaker, just seeing someone do something that looks like out of the box or something that we don't see regular, regularly, that I, I think that it definitely was inspiring for, for people to see. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.